Welcome back, my friends. I have a special guest and topic for you today that might seem a little off track from wellness, but I think as you have learned and grown here with me that most topics find their way back to wellness. And I think that it's important to talk about our work lives and how that plays a role and ultimately how we find meaning in the work that we do and how that ties into our wellness. So I jumped at the opportunity to have this conversation. It's not one that we've had on the podcast before, but I think it's a very important one and I know you will find value here. So today I'm talking to Danny Gutnecht. He is the co-founder and chief executive at Pathways, which helps organizations and people do great work by using innovative models that improve thinking and human behavior. He is also the author of Meaning at Work and Its Hidden Language. In this book, Danny explores and synthesizes psychology, management theory, and cognitive science to develop innovative approaches that unlock human potential. There is always a tension between culture and profits, paying the bills and being personally fulfilled at work. Danny has been exploring how to tune and resolve the dissonance between the two for over 30 years. His book describes the journey of finding and utilizing methods and models that empower individuals and organizations to wield the power of meaning in the work environment and the rest of their lives. I'm excited to bring this conversation to you, and I would love to hear from you what you thought about it and what additional insights you might have, as well as what additional topics you might want me to cover that align with or coincide with this important topic. So keep that in mind as you listen. And here is Danny. All right. Super excited to have Danny Gutnecht with me here today. And I verified the pronunciation that I think I got that right. Did I get that right, Danny? Absolutely. Okay, fantastic. I may not say it again, just so I don't screw it up. But I'm really excited to have you on today. I This is not really a topic that maybe on its surface falls in line with health and wellness, although I think at a much deeper level, it absolutely does. And so we're going to talk about work and meaning at work and and what it's like to to have that. For those of you who don't feel like you have that right now, what does it even look like to have that? So we're going to dive into all of that. So I'm excited to be here with you, Danny. Thanks for having me on your show, Claudia. Yeah. Before we get started, I always ask my, ask my guests, what does true wellness mean to you? You know, I break down, uh, overall, it means quality of life, um, not necessarily the quantity. I know that there's a lot of conversations about quantity. It doesn't mean I don't want to live as long as possible in a healthy way, but um, I break it down. I really look at my health as physical, mental, and um, psychological or spiritual as, as a lot of people call it psyche means soul. Um, and so I really do kind of group, um, how I approach those three areas. Um, and I make sure I pay attention to them in my daily life. Wonderful. I love it. And we're going to definitely dive into, into some of those areas as we talk about this work. What I would love to know first is, I always like to know why, why do you care? Why, why does each guest care about the work that they're doing? What led you to care so much that your passion is to discuss this and talk about this and write books about this? So what, what was that path? What did it look like? 
Well, I was a very curious child and I grew up in um, rural Nebraska and I continued to ask of my parents and the people, my school teachers and people around me, a lot of questions. And a lot of the answers just weren't um, sufficient for me. I, I felt like something was off. I was like, this just doesn't jive with who we are naturally, all these explanations that I'm getting. And, and I, you know, I was gifted in a, in a strange way. It wasn't so great for them with um, grandfather, father uh, that continually said, you don't ever want to do what I'm doing. I hate my job. Um, and so it's hard work. So, you know, go be a doctor, go be this or, you know, something like that. Right. And um, I, I, so I had role models that were essentially uh, had no meaning in their work. Um, and I started to ask those questions at a very young age. And um, I remember when I plugged in the police's CD synchronicity, I started asking myself, what's a synchronicity? And um, I found myself at the ancient Google, which was the library, dual des Dewey Decimal System, you know, kind of flipping through cue cards and then going down an aisle of books and looking at these books and going, wow, why do all the people who study the human condition say it's so hard to, to be yourself, to feel whole, to, you know, um, to live a fulfilling life? I mean, this and that was what drove me. I think that's really fascinating because I wasn't that person uh, until a life event. And I know you've talked about that before, about how for many people, some type of a emotional life-changing event happens. And that's when we start to ask these questions. Why do you think you started to ask those questions at such a young age? Yeah, um, I, I didn't have an easy childhood. Um, my father was a little rough. Um, and as a result, I think... Um, my mom emotionally was uh, could go absent. And so I learned some of those patterns early on in my life. Mm. Um, and I also oftentimes just went inside um, as a protection barrier to um, kind of ward off any um, threats. You know, we're learning nowadays that, that these are traumatic, you know, experiences for a child. And there's a lot, lot better ways of parenting. But back in when I was growing up in my neighborhood, this is kind of the way that parents um, chose to, you know, raise their children. And so, um, for me, it was, it was always kind of like that mixed signal and that, that I think as a child, you start to really look around and, and notice, oh, um, you know, this person's kind of getting grouchy. I think I'm going to go play outside. Right. So you're reading subconscious cues a little bit more acutely, um, as a protection device. And so while some of that, becomes very challenging as an adult because you don't want to take those protection devices into relationships. Um, some of that is, is really valuable because you get tuned in and you say, Hey, wait a minute, is this what life is about? Is this what I want it to be about? What can it be? And so that those were the questions that really drove me early on. Wow. Really interesting. And yeah, I could, I could see that that would be a stimulus for those curious questions and I can also see a, a huge value into starting to ask those questions at a much younger age. And it's interesting you mentioned sort of the generational difference of, I, you know, we don't like my parents, same thing. They worked their jobs and they didn't really complain about them, but there definitely was no conversation about that being their passion or that them, or them loving it. It was more just, this is what you do. You work hard and, you know, you wait for retirement to enjoy your life. And that's just what you do. What are your thoughts on that 
generational shift? Were the previous generations just more willing to do that? Were there just fewer opportunities? Is it all of the above? So what's sort of the generational difference of, of why our generation as a whole is not as willing to just surrender to that? So if you look at it, what's really fascinating, if, if you kind of look back, um, you look at this, the 60s, which were really the 70s, um, where you had the counterculture, the hippie counterculture, um, that was kind of a big event because it was a whole bunch of people saying, you know, drop in and drop out, um, you know, tune in, you know, get, you know, kind of get outside the system. And we had another um, kind of attack of that in the early 90s um, where, where grunge came up on the scene and music went from this, how do we cater to the audience to working out to internal issues through the song. Um, and, and so we've had some of these events, but I think, I think what's really taken place is just the deluge of information that we started to get online and people seeing from other people that, hey, maybe my limited community environment and the, and the norms and the things that are happening there aren't the only way to live, right? Because the first 25 years of our life, we're just kind of like figuring out what's going on in the world. Um, how am I supposed to be? Is this what it's supposed to be like? And, um, you know, and, and you start to, you start to, you can travel on the internet. What was it? The B-52s, Rome, if you want to, all mm -hmm. around the world. <laughs> You don't need wheels. You don't need wings. Um, and so you, you kind of get that and you start to, to really go, hey, wait a minute. Um, who am I? And then, of course, social media hits and everybody's trying on different personas like they're in a garment closet. Um, today, I can show myself this way and this way. And, uh, and so I think that, that all of that kind of brings me, me back to the central topic. And it's where I eventually landed, which was meaning. Um, all of this stuff is we're making sense of the world and we're trying to figure out how to show up in it. And, and in the old generation, it was just given to us. You know, it was kind of passed down and this is what you do and this is how you do it. And now today there's, there's so much opportunity that almost we're uh, over, overwhelmed by it. We feel a little apathetic towards it. And, and there's so many different ways of being that I think people I think we're moving into this phase to where we need tools to deal with this. We need tools to figure out who we are, how we connect to our sense of self and how we connect to each other. Um, the prior generations just suppressed it to your point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, my parents definitely, in most of the conversations I have with people, they had similar experiences with their parents and grandparents. Very few have entrepreneurial stories, you know, I mean, some do, but not many that I know, at least. And so it, it's a very similar path. And, and then it's almost like our generation started, you know, for many of us, we started to take that path. And then we, you know, slowly started to see what you just mentioned, which is, which is now the overwhelming amount of options to the point now, I think we're, we're, it's like shiny object syndrome every five seconds, you know, now, now it's a little bit too much, but let's back up a little bit and talk about your career journey. So if you start asking these questions, you, you have, you know, this generational suggestions and influence from parents. And so what, what kind of jobs did you hold and, and so, walk through? So I was, uh, I kind of bought off on the sixties culture. I got about three and a half years into college. I dropped out, started a company, ended up, uh, four years later, selling that company. 
I went to work in the finance industry after selling my first company. And then that was just no good for me. It, it just felt like, hey, we're just doing things for money. Um, that lasted two and a half years. And I was like, I'm done with this. And I really didn't know what to do. And I kind of took a base level job um, with a company in Dallas recruiting physicians. And um, I look back now and there's a, there's a famous young quote that says, physician, he, um, only the wounded physician heals. Um, and so what I was doing is actually taking physicians from, say, Los Angeles, California, and moving them to Spearfish, South Dakota. And, and what became so clear to me in that when I started doing this was I was like, wow, um, there's so many factors that go into how you want to live your life. Here's a physician that's, you know, downtown LA and going out to sit at the side of football games in Spearfish, South Dakota, um, and practice medicine and their families involved. And, and it's important what the spouse feels and thinks about the location. It's important about how the other people in the community support this physician and connect with this physician. And I was, I was kind of a little bit of a maverick at this firm. I didn't, I, I just, I didn't really like the way they recruited because it felt manipulative. It felt like a sale. And I was super successful just being honest and kind of having, you know, just clear conversations with people um, when, when, you know, talking to them about a new location and telling them, Hey, this is, this is what might not be so good. This is what might be challenging. And, um, and I, and so very quickly what happened was the firm asked me to start a new company. They said, the tech industry is getting hot and you should go into um, tech. And I thought, well, I don't know anything about technology. And they said, don't worry, we think you'll figure it out. So just, just go dive in. And, and that was kind of the pivotal moment because I was all alone and I was just starting this company up for myself, you know, kind of back to several years ago when I did my own company. And I realized that once you get past the first 20, 30 minutes of a conversation, people start to get real and people start to, you know, talk about what matters. And if you really listen and you get yourself out of the conversation, you really start to see that people are internally looking for um, some sense of purpose and meaning in their life. And they're just trying to change their external environment to find it. Um, and that's, that's kind of what led me into going, hmm, this is kind of two areas. It's a, it's a it, you know, you've got to dance with the external environment. Boy, you, you better do the inner work. Yes. Well, I, my husband is a physician. He has been uh, recruited many, many a time. So I, I know the uh, other side of some of that, what, what you did. And I'm a pharmacist and I've been attempted to be recruited. I still get, I don't even work as a pharmacist anymore. And I haven't since 2017, but I still get, you know, texts and emails of look at this amazing sign on bonus. Nobody's trying to get me to go to South Dakota yet though. But uh, <laughs> so I appreciate what you just said, which is saying it real, you know, I don't think that that happens often enough. And yeah, here are some downsides to, to living wherever. And, but here's the upsides and ultimately it's your decision. You know, is this as a whole, does this package look like something that you want to do? And, and if not, that's okay. And there's just something really raw and real about that, that I think is not happening enough to your 
mention your last mention of inner world. I read a few of your, you have many, many articles online and I, I read a few and I actually took out a quote that goes right along with what you just said. So I will read it and then we can dive more into that. Cause I think the inner world is a, is a really huge topic and one that's missing. When I talk to other, usually I'm talking to pharmacists because they're coming to me like, wait, what are you doing? And how do I get out of my job? That's usually what's happening. And I, and inner world is not, it's not a concept that many people are talking about or understand. And so I think this is a really big topic. So one of the quotes that I pulled was as a country, we've excelled at mastering the external world. We have excellent tools at our fingertips. However, our problems come from an imbalance in our inner journey. We will struggle until we realize that the inner world is responsible for discord. So talk to me a little bit about what that means to somebody who's not usually talking or doesn't have that verbiage of what is this inner world and external world, they kind of just go through the motions. What does all that mean? So, so I'll give you a really good story and then I'll, I'll tell you what it means. So when I was actually in the recruiting world, one of the things that jumped out to me was that there was so much bias in an interview. And when I started working with CEOs and VPs, I said, can I record your interviews? And they were like, record my interview. I'm like, sure. Yeah. And I found out that even in their interviews, there was a lot of bias. And so if they start resonating with somebody right away, we start picking out phrases they say, and then we start coaching them on how to get the job. And, and so what it, it occurred to me that if I go back and I, I thought just out of curiosity, let me go back. Um, and when I start to interview somebody, let me just start, where were you born? Where did you grow up? Um, tell me what resonated with you as a child and what were your relationships like? That was the key because what I realized is that you can draw a direct line between your relational patterns from early childhood to what you're doing in an environment today at work. And I was like, whoa, what, what's going on here? Um, it took me about 15 years to continue to, to develop that stuff to realize that um, these patterns and narratives that go on inside have snippets of meaning and some of them just have snippets of stuff you don't want in your life. And, and that's where, that's where the evolution of this <clears throat> inner work came from. As I started turning the interview on myself, I started using all of these psychological tools. Um, I did Jungian analysis. I, I just, I just went for a deep dive in it. And I said, you know, how does, how does my own inner world work? You know, everybody's works, you know, a little different. There's some rules to it. There's some actual structure to it. Um, but if you, if you, let those patterns remain unconscious. It's kind of like you, 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 you get a tension and want to adhere or stick to your inner map. And, and when that inner map starts to mismatch with the outside world and you forget to dance with the outside world, that's where you start getting all of the unhealthy things like projecting onto your environment. Oh, my work should be this way or this way. And that's when we get to these ideals of trying to live ideologically instead of really just trying to live. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, you know, you, you were a child who asked questions early for those, for those who are maybe listening, who are more like me, who either have not yet started asking these questions or, or have gotten a deeper understanding of their own inner environment and, they haven't had a life. So I started asking these questions and diving deeper into the meaning of my own life and, and work 
after my dad died. And I know this is, this is something you've talked about, but for somebody who's listening, who either hasn't, hasn't had that type of event or the had that event and it still hasn't really stimulated them to, to think outside the box or to, to start asking these questions, what might somebody do to evaluate if their current working situation is there, you know, some questioning they can do of themselves if their current working situation is indeed meaningful to them? How, how does somebody know? Are they just going through the motions or is this actually meaningful? Yeah, what's crazy is the first thing you have to acknowledge is um, there's there's a large part of us that just shows up unconsciously, right? And I'll give you a really good example why, you know, if you ever travel to, say, a brand new city like New York City or Paris or something like that, the first couple of days you're there, you're exhausted. And you're exhausted because your, your inner map maker is trying to gr- draft a map so that you have some predictability in your existence, right? And so um, the way that you kind of find out if, if, if a job is right for you is first start and going, I put myself here. Um, so many people that I talked to early on, they're, they're like, well, I just kind of ended up in this profession and I ended up at this job because it was available and it had good pay and things like that. And I'm like, well, there was something else to this job that drew you to it, right? Some set of resonances. And if you start to kind of look back and, and even if you just do a little bit of an exercise and go back and go, hey, what resonated with me as a child and what resonated with me through these jobs that I've been in and start to look at those resonances, you can start to say, okay, how do I use those from exactly where I'm at and apply all of myself into this, like just dive full into the job where I'm at today, you're going to find out very quickly if this is the right workplace for you or not. You're, you're going to learn that truth very quickly. And the beauty of that is, is, you know, obviously there's really toxic environments and I don't suggest staying in those or anything like that. But the beauty of that is that if you just dive in wholeheartedly and do everything that you can, um, yeah, it's going to benefit your employer, but more so it's going to benefit you because you're going to go, mm, maybe this company doesn't stand for what I stand for. I think I stand for these particular things, or maybe this company does, but I feel confined or caged or like a hamster in a wheel in this job. I've had people actually go to their boss and transform their role, which is, you know, really helps a big step in meaning by going, hey, I really resonate with these things. I want to, I want to do this here, and working your way through that because you earn it along the way, and you you actually get your own transformation by using those things close to you. Really interesting. So yeah, I think the f- initial reaction is I have to get out of here, and like you said, if it's toxic, maybe you really do, but. If it's just a matter of, I don't really love exactly what I'm doing, but I am aligned with the company. I do like who I work with. I like my you know, bosses or whomever. There may be another opportunity for you there. I think what I find when I talk to people who feel very unfulfilled and are lacking a sense of meaning at work is... I don't think they know what it, it looks like for it to it to be meaningful. I don't they don't know any different. So can you talk a little bit about I'm sure you have seen the stark differences of taking people from a lack of meaning to meaning or at least have heard the stories if you work with them and along with them. So what is, what does it look like? What does it feel like? How is it different to go from just working a job and then to finding meaning? You know what that um 
Beautiful question. I had, so when I work with people, um, I have a structure in place um, and an experience that I take them through. And it's an experience of yourself. I would say first and foremost, if you can find somebody in your network um, or find somehow to get, just get um, unvarnished truth as a feedback or as a mirror, you know, of somebody going, Hey, are you saying this? Are you doing this? That's a big help. I was working with a gal who was working in um, the front office and billing in a hospice company. And I was working with this hospice company for a while and everybody kept telling me, Hey, will you, will you work with her? We love her, but she's lost her son and her, and her um, husband all within a year's time. Hmm. And I was like, wow. Okay. So um, she, she had been about a year removed from doing that. And um, we started to kind of talk about the work and she was just like, very quickly, she was like, Danny, none of my work has meaning. Nothing has meaning for me anymore. And as she was telling me about her experience, I, I came back to her and, you know, we'll use, we'll use the name Beth. It wasn't her real name, but um, so, so I said, I said, Beth, um, you told me that, that you kind of answer the phone and you get, you collect, um, billing for from insurance and from families that have used your services and she said I do and I said you also told me a couple of stories about how you when you when both your son and your husband died um, you were financially destitute and you got so frustrated with the hospital calling because both of them were in the hospital for a long time that you just packaged up your financial statements sent them to the hospital and said, I have no money. What am I going to do on this? And they basically released your debt. And she said, yeah. And I go, are, are you mentioned that some of these families are in a similar situation as you when you're on the phone billing? Have you helped them with that? And she goes, yeah. And I said, it's interesting that you've taken a really terrible experience and you've used it to help others or to pay it forward or to or to release some of that and she's like wow i never thought of that before and i said i said are, are there any other areas in the business where you could apply that to and she goes wow um possibly could i mean we we have we have kind of a mess in billing sometimes i could help them you know close the information loop and you know this and, and help the company kind of uh, be more profitable and do things a little bit better. And I was like, okay. So when, after working with her, I came back out a month later and she was happy. She was walking down the hall and I asked her, I said, Beth, how are you doing? And she goes, you know, it's the craziest thing, but I feel like I have a sense of connectedness and, and purpose to my job now. And my job has meaning and I, it's still, you know, the psychological pain of my husband and my son aren't going away. Um, but I have, I have a way to, to honor them without, um, kind of taking it on as, as my whole journey. And so that, I think that's a, it's a, it's a very dramatic example because not everybody goes through that, but I will tell you that that pattern exists. Even if you haven't gone through that, you're doing something from this, these old relations, right? Some form of adaptation. That's a pattern. And if you really figure out what that is, 
you can transform it. You can use it and you can become conscious. So when you use it and you can also know that pattern doesn't serve me over here. It's kind of wrecking some of the things that I've got going on over here. So I'm just going to use it over here and I'll figure out a different way to, to approach this part of my life. Yeah. Really powerful. It, it, so what I'm hearing is that the job itself may not have its own inherent meaning. That would be a blanketed meaning. Like everybody would find the same meaning that the meaning really is based on the person and what meaning they find in it and apply to it. And, and it's possible that a reframe could make a current job appear and feel completely different than, you know, um, than it has felt before you sort of dive a little bit deeper and, and find the meaning. Is that kind of a long yeah. path? Yeah, there's there's a really good um, quote by Carl Jung, who actually um, invented the term synchronicity, um, which which is until you make your models conscious, they will rule your life and you'll call them fate um, or until you make the unconscious conscious. Right. And so essentially, if you think about it, when we go back to childhood, what, what's the first question we have? Well, who are your role models? Right. And so if you ask the question, what's a model? A model is kind of like a map of behavior, how we should think, how we should feel, how we should, right? And so you've got these models sometimes that were just inherited or given to you. And, and we're just, we don't know we're, we're developing models for certain contexts, but we are. We're, we're learning from the adults and the teachers and our society about how to behave and act and, and respond. Well, deep down inside, guess what? We've, we've got some, something in our soul, I don't know what it is, but something in us, whether it's the nature-nurture conversation, says, I, I really don't care about those things. I want this for myself. I want to fully express who I am as an individual, and I want to do it in a way that serves the bigger cause of whatever this human experiment is. And, and oh my goodness, like everything that happens in between is what psychology has studied for the last hundred years and called um, projection, suppression, repression, complexes. All, like that's the result of us having those unresolved issues. And it turns out from a health standpoint, from a, just a healthy being standpoint, massive effects. I mean, we're just learning now, you know, how many different chemical markers go off when you have meaning or you know, when you, uh, the difference between say hedonic and eudonic meaning and, you know, sorts of things. Yeah. I, um, I think this is such a, a big conversation to have because I think a large percentage of a population is, is falling in line with the dots that have been connected for them through what you just mentioned, which is the conditioning and learning from parents and teachers and just society. And this is what we do. And so we just keep doing it until we start to say, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to do it differently. And then we start doing it differently. And then either, either some of those people will move forward with that because that's what their intuition is telling them to do, or they stop themselves because they're friends and they're, they, they probably still have a circle that is falling in line with the current, the previous dots that have been connected. And so now the friends are confused. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> what do you mean you're going to do this? And um, so let's talk about some of those obstacles. So somebody who is um, 
maybe can't find meaning in their current job. So maybe not Beth. Um, no, not it was a Beth to begin with, but the person you just mentioned as Beth, uh, maybe they can't find the meaning in the job like Beth did. And they really do need to move on either to start their own business or to just move on to a completely different path or, or something more significant of a change. And there's, you know, current circle is not in favor of that. What, you know, that obstacle and other obstacles that you see that maybe stop somebody from making that next move? Um, I, you know, one of the biggest obstacles that people have are um, their sense of obligation and it's faulty, um, but it not always faulty, but there's some fault to it. Um, but their sense of obligation to a lifestyle, um, a, a status, um, the, 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 the family members that they think might be, um, a little uneasy because when you switch careers, your income usually changes a little bit. Um, you, you have to do with less resources. And so it's it, the crazy thing about it all is that generally, you know, having meaning doesn't always say you're going to make more money. Um, however, um, if you, if, 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 if you find a real sense of I, and, and, and really for me, it's like, what, what makes your life interesting and adventurous? And when you wake up every morning, we all have these set of choices that we can make and we can choose to make it interesting and adventurous or we can't. And if we kind of take this lifestyle and this need to support ourselves and put it on the back burner a little bit and go, it's, it's always going to be there. That tension's always going to be there. And we focus on what resonates most with us and we, and we make the cut. Right. Um, and sometimes you're like, hmm, maybe I need to do this at night for a little while until I make the cut, or maybe I need to do something else. It causes a little bit of discomfort, but just follow it and follow your intuition. And um, we, we're so rational today. And those, those awful narratives of, well, gosh, if I quit, what's my wife going to say? Um, you know, she's going to be really upset about this. We're not going to have the same income coming in. And how am I going to pay for these kids and that sort of thing? And but you have to trust yourself. I'll figure it out. I'll, I'm going to go figure it out and I'm going to commit. And because I have to commit to me, because the other thing I learned in hospice, Claudia. And and um, people at the end of life reminisce. They're trying to, to uh, reflect on, did my life have meaning, right? I know that I'm at the end of life. I know that death is imminent. What did I do with my time? Did it count? Did it matter? Um, and this was really clear to me pre-COVID. -pre I was working with Hugh Downs from 2020. Do you, do you remember who Hugh Downs was? It, it's familiar, but not familiar enough for me to give you any details. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, we were, we were, we were going to write a book together. Um, he was, he was in his late nineties when I met him and he was 99 when he died. He died during COVID. So we never really got done with it, but I would go visit him um, once a week um, in a, in a, in a really nice long-term care facility. And he, and he used to, he used to, you know, take me to, to lunch with all of his friends who are all centurions, like just, and, and it was fascinating because the ones that were centurions, centurions that were just, they're still going to it, traveling like Tel Aviv and places like this and just talking about the moment as if life is just going to go on forever. And I was like, oh, this is crazy. The ones that, that you see that really kind of get sick 
And it, it's the ones that kind of cling to the past and are reminiscing and going, did I, did I live a life of meaning and those sorts of things? And so it was a really kind of profound moment for me. It's like, wait a minute, why wait? Why wait? The biggest currency that you've got. I mean, all this we've heard, can't take it with you. All this stuff that we have, um, it's just dirt. And the thing that we have, the moment that we have the best opportunity we have to live is time. And it's what you do with your time every day. Yeah, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. And I don't, I think a lot of people don't give themselves the chance to really think about this. If they haven't had the experience of working in hospice or talking to, you know, or being around those who are dying, that really is like, like you just mentioned, and I have too, it's the most impactful thing it has been in my life. And even I interviewed um, a death doula on here twice. I ended up bringing her on a second time because it was so powerful. But one of the stories she said, told was having, you know, basically one of her, one of her patients just look at the table next to, next to his bed and see his car keys and his wallet and just have this immediate realization that none of those things, none of, nothing that, that, symbolizes matters like it just all doesn't matter and what what could we do if we realized how little that matters much sooner than you know than now so it is really powerful and um and I think yeah why why wait is has definitely been top of mind for me after watching my dad pass away and and like you said you know it it oftentimes is an event like that, that makes us make those questions. But I really want to encourage the audience to start asking those questions, even if you're not facing some huge life event right now, but just to start asking the questions like, you know, do you find meaning in, in your work? And if you don't, from a health standpoint, how might it be impacting your health? I often find that people sort of surrender to a constellation of symptoms that they're experiencing and chalk it up to whatever, like, well, you know, I'm menopausal or I'm this, and this is just normal for me now. And, and it's not though, (laughs) you know, your health can be so much more optimal and how much is your job and your everyday work that you may not be aligned with playing a role in that. So um, I'm glad that you brought up health a few times because that's clearly the the intent of the podcast as a whole, but I, I think it yeah. plays into work so much because we, I mean, our work is, we spend more time at work than anywhere else. So it's not something to, to minimize the impact of what, what types of health have you specifically seen anybody that you've worked with or stories of specific health consequences of staying in a, a misaligned career path. Uh, oh yeah. Um, well you, you see it working in healthcare. I've seen it a lot, right? Um, healthcare providers often take on a lot, right? They're trying to cure patients. And so they carry the burden of, you know, keeping people alive, um, or just their kind of just their effects. And, um, while a lot of them may have meaning in their work, uh, they still haven't done the work of kind of offloading some of that psychological baggage, but, and we're kind of, we need to, as humans keep growing. And so when we feel like that, that forward momentum is stopping and we're caught in a rut, um, you you might've heard of the law of familiarity. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what's really cool though, um, we, we, so I designed through COVID, I just started designing these courses called work with meaning. 
And people, you know, would sign up and we'd take them through this experience of, hey, you're at work. Let's talk about that. And let's let's kind of do a structured set of exercises and maps and you can discover meaning for yourself. So that's one. Well, after after a year of doing it, people were like really raving about the course. And I thought to myself, well, I'm taking everybody through. We've established a relationship. They might be just telling me that to make me feel good. So I got some folks to study it from ASU, um, some people with PhDs and that have done courses. And I was like, tell me what you see, what you're getting. So we've worked with them even over the past two years. And, and what's fascinating is there's direct health benefits. People are changing their lives. People are, people are deciding to eat a little differently. People are also um, uh, paying a little bit more attention to themselves and exercising, but they're also, which we know from, you know, the blue zone stuff, um, if you if you look at those nine indicators, what five of them are all meaning? Um, spiritual, social, those sorts of things are all things that where we go to kind of connect and learn about ourselves and grow. And so why not use your current environment to learn and grow? And if your current if you outgrow your current environment, move on. Um, right? If 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 that's not not interesting and stimulating to you. And so uh, we've seen through the studies uh, reduced stress and anxiety, a higher order of well-being in people that have that have, that have gone through the program, um, a more connected approach to work and and really more depth in their connections to people. And I have a feeling we're gonna get to a point in, you know, in the scientific world where the research starts to point out that, hey, food, yep, really important in our, you know, existence, exercise, really important, but boy, have we underplayed the card of our, our social connections and our, and our relationship that we have to ourselves. Yeah, it's so true. I'm a, I'm a health coach for radical remission, which, which is basically a, a collection of research by Dr. Turner, but, but the point of it is, is, you know, she identified 10 healing factors for people across the world who have gone into remission. So sent home, you know, basically with stage four cancer to die, but then why are they still living? You know, what, what did they do differently? And similarly to what you just said, you know, seven out of the 10 healing factors are not tangible. They are not like (laughs) diet, you know, three of them are, but, you know, supplements, diet, exercise, but, but the, you know, but then it's connecting to your intuition and it is social support and network. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's the intangible that the medical system just is not built to, to teach or know enough about to, you know, help someone develop and, and, you know, seven out of 10 is, is a huge number. So we need, we need to do better with that. And work is, you know, finding meaning in work is such a huge, huge part of our day and a huge part of that equation. So I, I think this is such a huge, See, you're, you're an expert in meaning already. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I, if you would have talked to me, you know, six years ago, I, I was, I was Beth. <laughs> That's who I was <laughs> Beth before the transformation. And uh, I would have just been like, this is awful. When do what, you know, what, when do I win the lottery? How do I get out of this? This is terrible. And uh, you know, it, I have found a huge amount of meaning in the work that I do now. And I, and I, and I want that for people and as you do. And, and so it's, it's a passion to, you know, to show people 
I know you don't feel like you can get there or that you even know what that looks like, or, you know, that that's possible for you. And, and, but it is, you know, people are, are loving, absolutely loving waking up every day and doing their jobs. And I just, uh, yeah, I, I want more people to know about that. So I'm, I'm happy that you're doing this work and really valuable work to do because we, we all need to love our, the yeah. largest part of our day is working. So we, it would be fantastic if we could love that. What, what have I not asked or what topic have I not covered? I would love, I know that you have just a like endless amount of wisdom around this topic. And so uh, knowing my weakness of this, not being my everyday, what, uh, what have I not asked that you could, that you would like to say or share? You know, it's interesting. I think you mentioned something really important. And I, I think there's a lot of people that are touching the meaning space. I think a lot of them don't know it. Sometimes they haven't kind of quantified as, oh, this is, because if you if you look at some of the research and go, hey, is recognition good at work? Well, yeah, recognition is good at work, but you know, the second the company commoditizes it and tries to go, we're good, and it doesn't have any sort of um, uh, uh, authenticity behind it or, or genuineness behind it, 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 you don't get all the benefits of it, right? And and so it's interesting because we also have this tendency to want to go seek out gurus. Or, you know, and um, I, I, like, I think that's a wild goose chase. I mean, that was the, one of the things that I've learned on my journey is, is like, oh, these people don't have the answers. Look for people that are saying, here's a tool or here's an approach you can use to make yourself better instead of um, the difference between kind of like proclaiming a personal philosophy. Ultimately, when I work with people, the whole thing is like, you know, the problem with, say, meaning at work or leadership programs and things like that. And there's, there's some really good ones out there, but the, but the fundamental problem is, is anything that tells you how to be anything that tells you how you should, you know, how you should show up um, are likely going to lead you down a straight path instead of just going, Hey, what's, what's my approach? What's my model? What's my, way to to want to go into the situation what resonates with me and what feels good and then try it and then once you try it if you go back and you go that felt good but that didn't feel good right this process of reflecting you'll slowly kind of like shed yourself of these old parochial models that 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 and you know ways that you grew up to go yeah i don't need those anymore i i can i can kind of generate um a sense of self and and show up confidently in myself in these situations. Mm -hmm. Yes. The noise is, it's so loud. <laughs> the noise is deafening and, <laughs> and it's, and, and you could watch 24 hours a day of YouTube videos of somebody telling you what you should do that doesn't know you at all. And, or you could take that time to meditate or ask, you know, get to know yourself a little bit better. And so I, I definitely love and appreciate that. So where can people find you? You have a book. Um, I do have a book. It's called Meaning at Work in its Hidden Language. You can find it, iBooks, Amazon, um, all the regular places. Um, I've got a I've got a podcast coming up um, that I'm going to be doing called, you know, Meaning at Work. Awesome. Um, and it should should be out in August. Um, and you can find me at so personally, you can find me at essencemining.com. Um, Essence Mining is is the um, part of the approach that I built around helping you you know, find your meaning. Um, I also am CEO of a company that, that helps organizations um, get their workforce reconnected to this sense of purpose and self and um, meaning and how to actually 
you know, do meaning and that's pathways.io. I love it. All the ways I will have all that linked in the details of the show. And thank you so much, Danny, for spending the time with us today. Thanks for having me on Claudia. It was, it was fun. Yes. I love the work that you do. And I'm excited for the audience to start to at least start to question. That's the takeaway is just, just to ask some questions. That's it. You don't have to, you don't have to change your career tomorrow. I think sometimes the leap feels too big. So baby. That's it. That's (laughs) it. Yeah. Thank you so much. A huge thank you to Danny for sharing his insights today. And I want to be your cheerleader. If you don't currently have one to cheer you on to the process of finding meaning in your own work. I have been there where I have done work that didn't feel meaningful or fulfilling to me. And I have found a level of fulfillment I didn't even know was possible. And so I know that this is truth and can be found. And I know that the process to find it is so worth it. So allow me to be your cheerleader if you need one. I'll be in your corner cheering you on. Till next time.